Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Security Token Show, Episode 3. My name is Kyle Sondland, and I'm joined with my co-host, Herwig. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning back in. And we're really excited about this week's episode. We're going to be discussing IEOs for STOs. And I'm really excited about this theme because IEOs, or Initial Exchange Offerings, are the latest popular acronym to hit the blockchain world. And they have a great application in the security token industry, and we're going to dive deeper later in this episode into that topic. But before I do that, Herwig, I'd like to pass the mic to you. We can talk about some security token news. Thanks, Kyle. It's another great week of info. Uh, as always, we're sourcing all this information from security token market news. Uh, you can check out the, that portion of our website and cover all the articles that we've been discussing in our previous episodes as well as this one today. But for many of you, you'll know that this is a rather new podcast, um, and we didn't get to necessarily cover a lot of the information that was happening in June. And Angela, one of the great users, submitted uh, the June 2019 Securities.io Month in Review. It's a monthly review that they do every month. Uh, and you know, in June, there was definitely some notable information that we haven't yet talked about on the show that I definitely want to cover. And the first of that is Globacap. Globacap is actually another issuance platform that has gotten FCA approval. They were in the fourth cohort of their, their uh, you know, sandbox trials with the FCA alongside, as we know, Token Market in 2030 that we discussed last week. Uh, and it just continues to show you that there's really a lot of innovation and technology coming out of the UK, Kyle. Um, you know, I experienced something similar to this back in the equity crowdfunding days where we would look at our, our counterparts across the, the pond and uh, you'd see this very same thing that we're seeing now, uh, a more active, friendly regulatory environment actually being a proponent and an advocate for these types of technologies with these types of companies. Uh, and, you know, despite everything that's happening here in the U.S., and of course, we see a positive outlook here as well, it, it's just a, a more inspirational and, and opportunity. Uh, time there, I think. And so we're going to see a lot more FCA activity with all the different issuance platforms. And it certainly seems like we're primed now with multiple issuance platforms for a lot of assets to, to be coming out of Europe, uh, which is very cool. The same thing in the same month of review, that is a, a subject that is certainly worth mentioning is the SCC lawsuit against a company called Kick. For those of you who don't know about Kick, Kick is actually one of the you know more successful initial coin offerings during the the craze of 2016 2017, and they actually raised a hundred million dollars for for that ICO as a, as a fundraising platform. At the end of the day, that you know the SEC clearly sees as a, a, a securities offering for you know, as a result, and it's definitely more insight to that is that. That the kick backers also include very notable venture capitalists and institutional investors. And so there is definitely more legs behind the kick offering, if it were to say be completely funded by a, you know, a bunch of random people all around the world. Uh, so this is a, a very tactical battle that's going on here. You know, venture capitalists, specifically those who have invested actively in crypto, crypto have a, a bias towards making sure that you know their their tokens can 
find wide reach and, and therefore hopefully gain economic value. And of course, if they were to be classified as a security, that definitely puts a hamper on a lot of those activities. Uh, so they're, they're very motivated, and this could be one of those precedent cases that you know, if the courts decide, hey, you know, Kick was able to do this okay, you know, the SEC and, and a lot of uh, you know, past lawsuits and issues and fines and all that's going to get challenged and across the board. It's certainly going to be interesting to see this one play out, Kyle. I, if I had to put my money on it, I, I would put my money on the SEC staying true to, to what's been happening here, which is this is one of those classic ICO examples that definitely triggered the Howie test. It's the test that the SEC uses to qualify whether something is a security. Um, and, uh, you know, the only difference here is, as I mentioned, that, that Kick definitely has resources and firepower and credibility to try and fight this. I don't know. What are your thoughts, Kyle? Who are you betting on? It's really interesting. I think that you, you did a great job of summarizing. Just for even a slightly additional piece of context, Kick is a large messaging app. They, they rivaled Facebook's Messenger and WeChat and some of these other, you know, maybe not to the size of WeChat, but they, I think they had a couple hundred million users or so. And so... They had a great platform, but we're really struggling to monetize. Like many of the apps we see today, when you're looking at a Facebook, when you're looking at a Telegram, or many of these other options that are also looking to cryptocurrencies to streamline payments through their platform. But the problem that we're seeing here with Kick and Kin is that there's no ownership stake for this fundraise. There's no opportunity for investors to have any protections. And so the SEC is kind of looking at this with a critical eye as a potential scam investment. And so when we're talking about the SEC prosecuting these applications for their ICO, really what we're talking about is the SEC solely saying that they were not allowed to fundraise this without properly registering it as a security and using either one of the private exemptions that we talk about very often on this show or doing a public offering like you see with, with a company like Facebook that they need to raise a ton of money so they have to go public. You see Snapchat, right? A lot of these companies, they will have to go public when they scale to this size because that's the only way that they can realistically raise this $100, $200 million. I feel like uh, we could probably spend a whole podcast just on this subject. Maybe we will once we start seeing some more information. Again, this is definitely one of those landmark cases that whatever happens could drastically alter and impact the, the blockchain world. Um, but for now, it's going to have to be a wait and see. We can, you know, last year we did see a lot of activity from the SEC, a lot of high profile you know, uh, cases, but a lot of the time they ended up with a slap on the wrist, you know, doing, doing good and explaining to them what went wrong so that the rest of the market and industry can learn. This seems like it's a little bit more high profile than that. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see what the SEC uh, ends up doing. Moving on, uh, the last article that definitely I want to bring up that uh, was a little bit more confusing to most, and uh, uh, it's the article of security tokens versus tokenized securities. And uh, I got to say, uh, this one really went a little bit over my head. Uh, I think some people try to, to dive in and take into terminology maybe a little too seriously. And you know, personally, frankly, I, I think this article maybe caused a little bit more damage than it did do good. Uh, you know, the, the author tries to you know, review the fact that uh, you know, based on their positioning and the noun and, and the, the verb, et cetera, what's happening here is is a change of uh, you know the, the meaning. So security tokens, he claims, are a type of technology. You know, whereas tokenized assets are taking existing assets 
and then making them tokenized. Uh, it's a rather long, lengthy article. It's, uh, <laughs> uh, but ultimately, I think you know this. This just highlights how much lack of clarity and information and understanding there is in the space. I mean, to me, they're one and the same. You know, you're taking an asset, whether you're creating a new one or you're taking an existing one. You're using the technology of tokenization, uh, which is you know in both words. <laughs> so very clearly, to me, demonstrating you're talking about leveraging uh, blockchain for securities and assets. And the author even goes as far as to say and differentiate between utility tokens and security tokens. So they acknowledge that. Um, but it seems like, you know, the concept of tokenized securities versus security tokens was a little beyond uh, to the point where it needed explanation. And uh, you know, th this is the type of noise that in the long run, it doesn't really matter. But, uh, you know, uh, I think this one gave me a little bit of a headache to read, Kyle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it can it can be a little bit confusing with all of the different terminology. And, and as I think you said, it, it sometimes can complicate more than it helps just in the sense of we're all leveraging and using securities exemptions to put assets on the blockchain and be able to trade them in a liquid fashion. We don't have to spend so much time talking I, about the nomenclature. You know, I, I gave you my opinion, but uh, this is everyone's industry here. And so certainly send in your feedback, send in your thoughts and comments. Go comment on, on this article on STM and let us know how you feel about, about the terminology. Totally. Um, now let's move into some more of the more actual recent news that's been happening. Uh, in fact, uh, about a week ago, I think, um, David Hodge, who is the director of a Euro European operations for AI Consultants. AI Consultants is a 25-plus-year-old uh, employee-owned international consulting firm that provides comprehensive services to commercial lenders, property owners, managers, tenants, and developers, you know, the real estate stakeholders, if you will. And they have clients like Fortune 500 companies, uh, which, which goes to show you that they are a very well-known firm. And David Hodge really dives in on the subject of fractional ownership, the potential of title registry for with DLT technology, valuations, clearing and settlement, and everything through and through uh, on the real estate side. And I actually completely agree with, with David Hodge that, you know, especially with real estate, this has a tremendous application, not just on the security token side, but where blockchain can help with exactly things like title registry. And, and in the end, they are all tied to each other because when you, when you have it registered, you want to make a, a security out of that and start to create access to it, they, they are tied to each other. And I personally like the idea often for real estate about being able to tie in information like condo sales, rental occupancy rates, delinquency or, or past due payments, et cetera, all of these things that help investors make a decision on real estate, uh, but ultimately and oftentimes is not very transparent information that isn't even available or requires very active due diligence and follow-up on behalf of the investor, which is something no one wants to be doing. Um, so great article if you're interested in real estate. Highly recommend you go check it out. Um, but moving on, I have another real estate article where actually uh, claiming that Paris uh, is one of the first in Europe to tokenize real estate, uh, specifically referring to the Anna Villa, which is a, a $6.5 million euro, uh, euro uh, luxury property. Uh, based in Paris, of course, and it's being tokenized on Ethereum with an issuance platform called Equisafe. Uh, and you know, normally this would be something that is left for Kyle to discuss in his STO. 
uh, news section, but in the end of the day, the article also expands on the real estate industry itself. Uh, and there's definitely a lot of inf- you know useful and insightful information in there, especially if you're in the real estate side of things. Definitely recommend go checking it out. They they claim that they've done a rather in in depth report of uh, all real estate blockchain companies, claiming that as of the beginning of this year, almost 400 million dollars has already been invested in infrastructure. Certainly lines up with some of the research. That, that we've been doing. Um, and they said that they've looked at 168 real estate uh, tokenized projects and have seen you know, them raise projects and, and also looked at prop tech and tokenized assets as well. Um, I, I do have to be a little critical because you know, nowhere in the article does it really claim or back up why Paris is, is the first in Europe. Uh, in fact, through their, their information and research, they claim to have looked at 168 real estate tokenized projects already, 20 of which are in the UK alone. Um, so I'm not really sure how that would make this new uh, you know, tokenized uh, investment one of the first. But I, I applaud it, of course. And again, I think there's tremendous potential for, for real estate and security tokens and blockchain. So definitely go check that out if you're interested on that subject. And last but not least, uh, similar to the, the topic, IBM is working with top Australian banks to pilot a blockchain for retail leases, bank guarantees. Um, And a little more information regarding this, IBM is specifically working with Center Group, a a massive uh, real estate property group. And they've been teaming up with banks to to digitize the data from a test group of leaseholders uh, with Center Group all across Australia. And that platform that they're using is called Ligon. Ligon's purpose will be to shorten the time that it takes for banks to issue guarantees, reducing that from you know time that sometimes take weeks to a month to they say a day um and you know of course it's all issued on paper and industry best practices when we all know that you know blockchain and security tokens could dramatically improve that process in the long run even create liquidity for such instruments um and they even mentioned that contingent on ligon being a successful proof of concept as a pilot They intend to roll this platform out to all banks, issuers, lease applicants, and beneficiaries to to use the platform. So that that seems to be like a very exciting initiative there going on with IBM. Kyle, I'm going to pass it over to you because I know you have an interesting uh, article that you really wanted to talk about. Yeah, I'm very excited to announce that Dreamer has launched their initial offering for their security token. And the slight wrinkle that we're very excited to discuss and one that we will we'll definitely talk about in more detail is that it will be through an initial exchange offering through LA Token. And so Dreamer is a fundraising platform for personal dreams and desires, which will be is very interesting. to, And they also are fundraising to create a funding branch themselves to be able to assist in users who are looking to fundraise for many goals and projects and desires that they may have in their life. And so on that same topic, Angela from STM News also submitted an overview on IEOs and their origination from the ICO alternative. And so in terms of initial exchange offerings, as we discussed earlier, really what we're talking about is an exchange launching the fundraising process through their exchange such that when the funds have been completed, when the fundraise process has been completed, 
the investors can be sure that the specific investment that they're buying into is actually then going to be traded on that specific exchange. And so this is something that started in the crypto space, uh, but was modeled after something that we've seen forever with traditional offerings. Very often when a company was going public, it would be very apparent to investors where they're being uh, provided liquidity, right? So if you have any traditional stock company that has raised money recently through an IPO, it's very clear where they will be IPOing on, which is referring to the exchange. In the same way, we saw this with crypto, and I think it's something excited for, exciting for security tokens because LA Token is now entering into the space as a security token exchange, and being able to, to be promised liquidity is something that we're, we're excited to see in the industry moving forward. Yeah, no, I will we'll cover this topic a little bit more later, but uh, definitely very interesting news indeed. Uh, South America, the, their, their third largest investment bank, known as BTG Pactual, uh, made an announcement recently that they are jumping in on the Tezos blockchain, uh, and they intend to do mm. that to do security tokens. Uh, very, very interesting. So much so, in fact, that they claim to have a billion dollars in issuance, uh, you know, a common phrase we like to hear from many issuance uh, groups and investment banks and the like, but uh, it has a little bit more weight to it this time around because BTG Pactual, for those of you who don't know, they have about $44 billion in assets under management. They are are the real deal. Uh, and in fact, they've already done this. They, they launched their first security token offering called RABES, uh, I believe. Uh, and you know what, what that offering is, is a, a real estate one actually representing equity uh, in distressed real estate in Brazil. Uh, they actually also partnered up with Dalma Capital, an asset manager out of Dubai that was the book runner for, for RABES, but uh, you know, I'm sure also is, is working very closely uh, with BTG as well as you know, bringing assets and issuances out to the industry. You know, I can read you a quote here from the article uh, that I also found very interesting because it does give you a little bit more insight to, to BG, BTG Pactual's ambitions here. And they say, while the bank remains protocol and technology agnostic and will continue to utilize the Ethereum protocol, we see Tezos as a global player with a robust blockchain for asset tokenization. So I, you know, I don't think there are too many ways you can interpret that. Uh, this is BTG Pactual announcing support and excitement for the, the Tezos blockchain, but it, it's probably very likely the case that their first STO was done on Ethereum, that they continue to plan to use Ethereum, and that if something better comes along, they'll probably adopt that too. Uh, but it does go to show you that Tezos is becoming a, a global player. But uh, you know that that's why, to me, the real uh, you know focus of this article is really BTG, and that's why I'm going to make them my company of the week, Kyle. Uh, because any major investment bank like this that is really making a, a real large initiative and one that I think is is very savvy uh, in this space is is extremely exciting, and I don't think we're going to see anything but great things come from them and lots more issuances uh, and hopefully you know global assets that all of us will be able to participate in and so when I see investment banks doing things the right way leveraging the technology the right way uh, and making big moves like this uh, I get excited and they earn my company of the week I'm in full agreement this is incredibly exciting as as you mentioned they are a major investment bank and 44 billion dollars in assets under management is no joke at all and so even tokenizing fractions of that is going to be tremendous for our industry, being able to pave the way for how other investment banks can, can also leverage their current assets with security tokens. And, and uh, as you said, the key here is, is 
global player, robust blockchain. So we're talking about, you know, a global international enterprise here and, and, and one that, that we're going to be very excited about moving forward. I read another article recently on lending and debt, you know, one of my favorite subjects. <laughs> uh, and uh, it looks like there's a new entrant to the decentralized P2P lending platform space. Their name is Constant, and they're, they're a great, you know, overview of their platform on Hacker Noon. So, you know, anyone interested in this topic, I highly recommend you check it out. They, they like to point out that in the market today, there's, you know, incredible potential, you know, the, the usual hundred trillion plus dollar of opportunity. Uh, but in reality, if you look at and analyze Dharma and Compound, at least in the article, they claim they've only done in, in combination roughly $10 million in volume of loan issuance. Um, definitely not a big number whatsoever. Um, so they have gone ahead and they are, they're building out a, a whole lending platform. And the idea is for, you know, you'd be able to invest in orders, but borrow orders. You can actually be a market maker to try and set the interest rate or a market taker to take the interest rate. The idea is, of course, to make borrowing money a seamless and instant process. And they are, you know, hyping the, the you know, major value that I agree with of smart contracts being able to, of course, improve this process, but as well as secure collateral uh, and really on a programmatic basis, make sure that all of these rights and protections are enforced on behalf of investors. Um, and to make it even easier, the platform itself you know, has, is using stable coins and cryptocurrencies to make it easier to, to actually collateralize those loans. Um, and uh, the market opportunity is definitely enormous. Uh, and so I definitely want to keep an eye on them. But it's not necessarily the, the future. We all know that there's going to be certainly some pushback on the decentralized uh, model. You know, we know that Providence is doing something similar and they've you know, done $80 million in loans already. Uh, and they haven't even rolled out their public blockchain yet on the debt side of things. And they're doing it in a, in a more regulatory focused, supportive, in, in, you know, financial uh, industry collaboration uh, model, which is, is certainly, you know, also something that could be potentially seen as the better or the right strategy. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how all of these end up playing out. Um, but, you know, the, the main theme remains, which is the middlemen who are charging origination fees, sourcing fees, maintenance fees, these things that, that can sometimes lead into the hundreds of basis points of, of additional costs for, for all sides, uh, all of that can be commoditized. I fully agree with that. Um, and so as a result, you know, one of these technology platforms could indeed be the future rails of, of lending and borrowing, et cetera. So you know, if you, again, if you're interested in the space, definitely keep an eye on Casa and go, go learn more about them. Debt is a really interesting industry just because of the fact that most people don't realize that the, the debt markets are they trump the equity market certainly in the public sector and so this is this is a three to four times larger market than what we're seeing with public securities and so don't sleep on debt debt may be the most expansive it may be the most profitable and it's certainly the one that gets a little bit less press attention I feel like than than equity startups which can generate the huge multiples, which is fantastic, but but debt is that that tried and true engine of, of most economies. So it's, it's very exciting and it's it's a very promising industry yeah, for sure. Less sex appeal for sure, but uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely don't sleep on it. 
So I actually have another another interesting uh, announcement I'd like to, to promote here, and that's that's one of our partners at the Security Token Group or Security Token Group here is Tokeny, and Tokeny just announced that they filled their five million dollar equity raise. Tokeny is a European security token issuer, so along the same lines as a lot of our our earlier news, and Tokeny actually has their own T-Rex protocol. That's what they're calling it, and it's their own regulated protocol for. European exchange, and uh, they're a fantastic issuer that's that's generating a lot of great deal flow in the industry, and they were actually selected as the 2019 startup of the year at KPMG's FinTechs Awards in Luxembourg, and so they're they're really making a great push. They're making a, building a strong brand for themselves in Europe, um, and uh, Euronext, which is the leading pan-European exchange in the eurozone, actually filled the entire five million capital raise. Wow, and so. They 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 bought about a quarter of the company and and uh, have some governance and representation in in that that company now and I, I think that's a tremendous move. We're seeing a lot of news from inside of the U.S. with Nasdaq and and some of these other large large investment and financial industries businesses that are considering how to enter into this space. But what we're seeing from companies like BTG Pactual is and now Tokeny and certainly with Euronext, we're seeing a lot of these large players really getting some skin in the game and actually looking how to leverage this technology. So a full $5 million subscription to the entire round. Clearly, there's a ton of faith that this company can can really launch an awesome product and, and scale that thing to to uh, the the demand that a Euro Next might need. But this is a tremendous vote of confidence for our industry abroad, and so we're now we're waiting on on the U.S. But for Euro Next setting the tone for other exchanges around the world and for leading financial institutions, they're going to be my company of the week. Bravo to them and, and, and congratulations to Tokeny. A great choice, Kyle. Euronext is a major strategic investor and uh, I too see it the same way as you. This is one of the first major moves by, by one of the major exchanges in the world. Uh, you know, it's one thing to say you're talking about it and another to say you're doing pilots and supporting you know, third parties. Um, but you know, this is a real step forward because they are, they are now invested uh, into a company that is bringing issuance to, to the Eurozone. Uh, and uh, I think it is, again, another example that security tokens, there's no stopping and it's just a matter of uh, when, not if. Uh, and speaking of the same big exchange news, uh, I think there was a little, little good activity. I don't, I don't know if I can call it activity yet, but uh, at least according to Coindesk sources, uh, that Gemini is also applying for a broker-dealer license here in the U.S. Gemini uh, is every, everybody's favorite crypto twins, the Winklevosses, uh, you know, exchange. And it, according to this source, that they're, they're applying for an ATS, an alternative trading system license, which means that they will be able to facilitate and trade security tokens on Gemini. Uh, the article goes in to, to say that there was a previous relationship between an issuance platform called Harbor and Gemini. Harbor is very well known for, for raising quite a bit of VC money um, out uh, you know, in the West Coast. And uh, having been focused specifically on startup and real estate, they also partnered with Gemini's stablecoin, the GUSD, in order to, to use that on their platform. So one suspects that perhaps harbor issuances in the future might be able to trade on the Gemini exchange. 
But, you know, those two are a brilliant pair. So God knows what else they're thinking and working on for this. Um, And it's an an interesting move because it might certainly help their credibility with the SEC because they're going to become a further regulated, uh, you know, scrutinized company as a result. Um, and they're, they're trying, they've been actively trying to get their ETF listed. So I don't know if this is any relation, but, but I certainly think the more that they become a participant and a, and a player with the SEC, you know, the better positioning that, that I think they'll have. So I think this is some, some other big news. It's an interesting pivot for them slightly just because they did launch their Gemini stablecoin and, and we're really working hard to, to find adoption for that. And it hasn't gone quite as well for them solely because I think that there's just so much competition in the space right now. It seems like many of the largest financial institutions are all creating their stable coins, most notably recently with Facebook, with Libra and and all of their corporate partners. And so I think the Gemini is now seeing that that there's a great opportunity in the security token space. They come with a lot of money. They've got a, a strong brand and reputation in the industry for being very early into a lot of this technology. And so it's very exciting to see how this goes for them. Um, but we do know that there seems to be sometimes some delays with, with the broker-dealer applications. I think that you may have something about that too. Yeah, no, that's actually my, my next article and, and a, a great segue, Kyle. Um, it's an interesting move to be doing the application for the broker-dealer. Um, there, there's an article that covers this very well in, in depth, but also we personally are familiar with the matter uh, intimately as well which is the fact that a lot of people are right now are applying for a broker-dealer, whether it's for an ATS or just to be an investment bank or for, for whatever reason in order to be able to you know, participate and play in the space without concern of, of regulatory problems. Um, and that's an issue because, of course, you know, this article claims that over 40 in, you know, firms are waiting to get approved and they're kind of stuck in a limbo. And uh, the limbo is not the SEC's fault, actually, believe it or not. Uh, the SEC, they, they are the police and the enforcement agency, but they have also entrusted uh, a self-regulatory, uh, self-regulatory organization an SRO uh, with a lot of the duties in helping them do this enforcement. Uh, And maybe you could almost look at it like FINRA, also known as the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, uh, is kind of like the administration. Um, And whether it's the SEC telling FINRA this is how we want it or whether FINRA's slow walking it themselves, uh, it certainly uh, is safe to say that it is FINRA holding up these 40 licenses because they are the ones responsible for approving them. Uh, and this is really interesting news because, uh, you know, this is, is why part of partly why the U.S. gets a lot of flack, uh, because, you know, here you have at least 40 companies, God knows how many more, uh, that are actively trying to build infrastructure, technology and innovation around these topics uh, here in the U.S. And they're not trying to do it with with, you know, without the support of the SEC, they're trying to do it with it. Um, and it makes it very difficult to say, hey, I want to build technology in the U.S. Uh, and, and, you know, help this economy. But, I, you know, then you see things like this happening. Um, and the reason we're also very intimate with this subject is because we at SCG, ha- having raised venture capital, we, we were uh, also exploring the use of a, a broker dealer, you know, uh, as a consulting business. Um, certainly with an investment bank, we could actually start to help promote and broker offerings and, and build out an investor network of our own. Um, 
you know, same thing for, for the marketplace. So it, it allows us to give a lot more latitude in, in what we're able to do. And right now, we've decided to stay in the confines of what we are legally allowed to do without a broker-dealer license because of the very risk that we foresaw here. You know, we, we, we already did start to go through that process and, and learn that there's certainly a chance that, that things were going to be very slow. I mean, you can look at the Jobs Act itself. It was passed in Congress by 2012. And then the SEC, you know, alongside um, working with FINRA, you know, rolled everything out over four or five years. Um, so knowing that ICOs really took off in 2016 and really even 2017 when, when the SEC started to get very attentive, you know, it's still early days for, for this topic. And, and this is exactly the sign of, of a slow regulation, you know, potentially stalling things or at least thwarting potential opportunity. And so the, the fact that Gemini has decided to apply, you know, they obviously carry maybe a little bit more weight, but, uh, you know, they may also fall in line and get stuck in this potential limbo. So we have seen actually a lot of other players who have tried to do similar initiatives do, do things a little differently instead by acquiring an existing broker dealer with the existing licenses, which brings up a whole new host of questions, which is what licenses do you need to do which um, and do new licenses need to be created altogether? a new type of uh, a broker-dealer license for crypto and, and security tokens and the like. Um, so, you know, once again, I'm not an attorney, but uh, being in intimately familiar with the matter, that's also not a foolproof method either. You know, there is a chance that FINRA, after the fact of your acquisition, can actually still deny you your ownership rights uh, and your ability to, to participate. Um, so it's not, not no guarantee either. Um, but it does allow somewhat of a workaround to start letting you operate um, and, and start to, to actually use a, a broker-dealer with the supposed licenses that you, or at least have been advised, uh, that you need to, to have. So uh, interesting news, Kyle. Yeah, it's, it's, it'll be very interesting to see how, how this progresses. That's, that's really the only word that we can use to describe it because yeah. it, it's, it's hard to really guess which direction we're headed. I wonder if there may be some interest in forming their own broker-dealer, potentially due to the fact that they want to build a full ATS, which I know is certainly more expensive and, and much more rigorous in terms of the, the diligence that's yes. required than a traditional, what they'd call a nickel broker-dealer, which would be something that's a lot smaller. The, the, the abilities of a you know nickel broker-dealer would be certainly a lot less than one that, that can fully trade securities. Again, I'm not a financial lawyer either, but I, I certainly know that there are, are very different layers and levels of, of what that can mean. So potentially at, at the high level they're looking to provide services at, they may need to do it themselves, not sure. Um, but again, it hasn't been quick so far. The precedent hasn't been that it will happen quickly. So we'll see how long it takes and, for them. to. And I don't want to knock FINRA and the SEC completely either, either, because I do know personally that FINRA has been active working with existing broker dealers, collecting feedback, surveys and results in order to, to better address this issue. Um, and, and even the author in the article you know, has, has pointed out that some might believe that this is at the direction of the SEC, you know, uh, well, uh, so who knows what's actually going on here. We'll be sure to keep you updated. Um, but you know, this is why we shouldn't be surprised when the rest of the world says, you know, the, the U.S. Is, is more difficult to work with. Yeah, they're just trying to they're trying to make sure they fully understand 
what we're working on, I think, before making a lot of large-scale decisions. But very, very exciting. We'll see how that progresses over time. I think it's an interesting time to bring up the fact that Herwig and I are working on a proposal of some suggestions to the SEC. If you are unaware, or as a reminder, the SEC has actually asked for feedback from the general public, from investors, from entrepreneurs themselves on their specific securities regulations and how those processes can potentially be optimized in many different ways. We touched on that uh, and went into much more detail, I think in our first episode, Herwig, when they had initially made the announcement. And so Herwig and I both submitted some of our feedback and now we're working on, on more of a, an agreement that we can try to see if a lot of the industry can get behind as kind of one strong push to the SEC of a lot of, of positives and, and a lot of the potential suggestions for how we can optimize the process. And, and be as positive as we can in acknowledging the fact that the SEC is listening and they're trying to figure out how to best understand the space and to make it optimal for both entrepreneurs as well as investors and the, the entire financial ecosystem. So very exciting. Look out for that. We'll keep you updated on, on our progress there and uh, we'll hopefully uh, be able to submit that and, and get some people on board. If you have any suggestions or, or things that you'd like to see, certainly reach out to, to us. I, I'm active on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Kyle Sondland or you can, you can find all of our links on LinkedIn or, or through our websites and, uh, and give us suggestions there. So don't hesitate to reach out. And on top of that, I'm excited to discuss just briefly that, that Swarm has gone live with their master nodes for their, their blockchain. And so if you're unfamiliar, Swarm is also an issuance platform, just like many of the other ones that we've discussed at length so far today. And the difference with Swarm is that they actually did do an ICO along with Polymath in the 2017 success of crypto and are really looking to optimize that and use it productively. And so with a master node, essentially what that means is you buy a specific amount of the native token, which gives you some ability to make... Um, governance or validate specific transactions in the system. And so Swarm has a very um, expansive plan for how that will work, and I, I don't want to misrepresent it. So certainly if you're interested in learning more about Swarm and their master nodes, which are, are working with security token issuance, so being able to participate in the actual distribution network is an interesting proposition um, that re does return fees for participating and you get paid for that in their native token and, and you're really benefiting the ecosystem. So they, they went live with that and they almost have 250 nodes so far. I think it's 235 or 240 at the time of recording and each node needs to lock up specific tokens. So I think that they've almost locked up 12 million of the 100 million total fixed supply. So at least 12 million of the full supply of Swarm tokens are now held by, by these master nodes that obviously will not sell um, because they need to, to use that as staking for their governance. So it's interesting. They're making great project progress on the technical side, leveraging a, a different method than we've seen with some of the other issuance platforms, some of the larger players, or maybe some of the more traditional institutional financial industry players. They're not definitely going to be doing it much more centralized, and so it will be interesting to see um, how Swarm performs bringing it from a different angle. It's impressive news for sure, to say it's at least. I know it's only been, uh, I think, a week of launch, right? So mm -hmm. to, to already have almost 250 master nodes is, is amazing. 
I, I do understand that there is no network participation yet, but you know that's because it is early days, and, and one could look at that as maybe the best time right now to get a masternode. So definitely, like Kyle said, if you're interested, go check, go check out and learn more about how Swarm is doing things a little bit differently. Um, as you mentioned, also another company that was able to do a successful ICO, Polymath. Um, uh, always gets a lot of attention and it seems like they have made yet kind of another major announcement uh, saying that they are sharpening their focus on their security tokens um, and honing on their vision for digital securities. Alongside with that was a, a series of employee layoffs. Um, and, the, you know, the quick, quick uh, bit on the article here is uh, it is important to note that the company is not abandoning its current development on Ethereum. Polymath's technology solutions have experienced a great deal of success thus far, and Polymath Token Studio remains the ideal pathway for organizations looking to create and distribute their security token today in order to subsequently migrate to Polymesh, their purpose-built blockchain that we discussed, uh, I think, last week or so. Mm-hmm. Um, this is coming from the, the CEO of Polymath, Kevin North, um, who, who also enforced the fact that he, when he signed on in the fall, you know, he discontinued two major initiatives already mm-hmm. there. Um, and that now they're dropping two more products again to try and show that they're really focused on their, their vision. Um, it does seem a little conflicting to say that you are maintaining support for Ethereum while you know building towards this new uh, platform that you are building. But in the end, you know I, I do know that they've seen tremendous success so far. Uh, and the reality is, is, of course, with an ecosystem of issuers and the technology built, uh, I'm not sure why you would abandon that. So, so the move makes sense to me. Uh, it's just you know seems a, a little conflicting as to you know what what is polymesh and why is it so much better than your current product and, and when is that going to happen and does that transition affect my my current issuance et cetera it certainly brings up uh, a lot of questions uh, for me um, you know polymath did have reportedly earlier you know in the year sixty employees. Um, so it's definitely one of the larger uh, technology players in the space today. Uh, and so, you know, again, th- this seems to me like a statement to bring back community uh, and investor confidence, if you will. Yeah, it's, it's a long road for them. They, they were very successful in their ICO and, and did a great job of really bringing security tokens to light for many people around the world. And, and Hopefully, uh, I wish them all the best. I'm excited to see the Polymesh, as we discussed it last week. They're working with one of the co-founders of Cardano. And so I'm sure it's going to be great technology. Really what it comes down to is, is how's their deal flow? Can they help issue successful security tokens? If they can do that, I'm sure they'll be successful. I'm sure this will make them you know, good business and they'll be able to scale it from there. That's all it comes down to is, is, is the quality. Well, that's all I have for my news segment here, Kyle. So I'll pass it over to you to tell us what's the latest in security token offerings. Yeah, so an interesting, an interesting week in security token offerings. The, the first piece, just like what you did with the security token industry news, I wanted to address an, an idea of, of a security token offering use case that, that has been successful so far that we hadn't noted before. And that's actually Steam Monsters. And so Steam Monsters was a security token offering launched by Steemit, which was a crypto news and blog industry company. And they launched Steam Monsters, which is actually a, a online video game platform that leverages a security token in the form of a non-fungible token. 
And so a non-fungible token is essentially a unique identifier that is attached to a specific security token. And so essentially what non-fungible means is that each item is unique, right? So each one has a serial number or an ownership number in the same way that there are batches of alcohols, there are, you know, the serial numbers on baseball trading cards, and there's a lot of value that's attached to being one of the first, or, or the lower the number certainly seems to have more value in a lot of specific collectible forms of, of assets. And so non-fungible tokens are also something that we can build on the blockchain. And, and so the applications for non-fungible tokens scale across many industries, but what we're seeing right now is, is actually in the gaming space. So with gamers in having any kind of asset, whether it's it's unique trading cards, whether it's it's anything that has value for its intellectual property. You can even scale this to something like art, where the Mona Lisa ownership, there's no other replacement for that. You can't just print another one in the same way that doesn't really matter which specific share of Google stock you own. But having a specific ownership in a painting is unique, and that's something that can't be recreated. It's something that can't be easily switched for an identical copy. And so the method of recording this is very interesting. We're seeing a lot of scaling and traction, and Steam Monsters was successfully able to raise $300,000 for their security token offering, and I think that they have thousands of active users per week. So they're actually doing very well for an online game in terms of leveraging security tokens for their gaming experience. Oh, very cool. Then, just like what you discussed with a security token industry report, I also found one from the Block State STO study. And through all of their research, they were able to find that there's just under a billion dollars raised for security tokens. And this number is, is one that, that certainly seems a little bit high to me. Again, I, I don't want to claim that their information is wrong, but, but from what I've seen, it certainly seems like that's tremendous. And, and um, they've noted that 64 security tokens have been completed with a majority from the U.S. And I don't know if, if I, I've seen 40 or 45, maybe 30 security tokens that have successfully completed their full raise. I think that there's many more than 30 or 40 actively trying to raise. But I think still at this time, we only have, I think, five that are liquid now in U.S. markets. And it's questionable to see which ones have actually successfully raised and, and potentially in some of these reporting sites that were used by Blockstate, some are ICO platforms. So it is difficult sometimes to differentiate between very early STOs, early security tokens, and the late ICOs solely because a lot of ICO businesses were trying to call themselves security tokens when in fact they had no asset underlying the token. So um, not exactly sure on, on the full validity, but it's a tremendous, it's a tremendous wrap up because they actually include all of their sources for all of the security tokens that they've identified that have started their raise, that have begun, where they were based out of issuance platforms, the type of investment vehicles. We also have all of that information on security token market where you can see a really detailed investment page for all of these offerings that we have been able to map, which is over 225 worldwide. Um, and so definitely go check out that study. It's a good way for you to learn more about specific security tokens in the industry in, in a very compact way. Additionally, we've mentioned Bitbond on the show before. They are a debt protocol that's, that's launching and, and trying to issue debt on the blockchain, something that, that we've discussed at length in 
pretty much every episode now. And their STO actually ends Monday, July 8th. So that is today, the day of recording. Unfortunately, for our, our next episode, we'll go live past the, the date of their fundraise. So if you hadn't gotten in at the time of listening, unfortunately, you won't be able to get in on their primary offering. But there have been a lot of success with Bitbond, who have initiated over 3,000 loans in 80 different countries around the world with $13 million in loan volume. They did an STO and they were successful in, in, in closing a lot of that. I'm not sure if they filled their entire um, round, or but I know that they've raised over a million dollars, which is great. The token is, is pays out in interest per quarter, and it's actually, they do have an agreement with the Stellar Decentralized Exchange that their offering will be traded there. So uh, it's going to have liquidity at some point in hopefully in 2019, potentially 2020, and uh, congratulations to that team for, for good marketing, strong branding, and we'll see, we'll see uh, when, uh, when they go live how they perform. On top of that, we mentioned Stellaro last week who started their security token offering. And I just wanted to note that they did a full hour-long AMA interview with two executive team members. You can find that on STM News. But if you're interested in hearing more about a specific STO and how their team is... is what their perspective is on this offering and, and how to leverage this technology, definitely go and check that out. It's through Facebook video. And then two token offering launches that I were able to find that are new. Benny Paul is offer, is launching their want security token. Benny Paul is a, a B2B marketplace in India, if I believe it, it's, it's built by a very successful Silicon Valley entrepreneur and they are launching their token offering that is non-voting common stock with a 3% quarterly dividend. And so I'm not, I'm not fully sure on the full financials of this offering. I'm not giving any investment advice throughout this podcast, but certainly it'd be interesting to check out. They note that there is no B2B marketplace in India outside of themselves and their, their proposed plan. They certainly seem to have experience in that industry prior, so it may be something interesting if you're looking to get some exposure into an, either an international investment or maybe into the B2B space. We also have Renvale token. Um, there's a crypto exchange based out of Estonia called Renvale Capital, and they provide crypto exchange services for many of the, the top market cap coins. And they are, are, are doing a security token offering. There's not quite as much information on this offering. It may be very new still, and they're working on some, some additional information. But definitely check it out if you're looking to get any kind of exposure to a crypto exchange. Right, behind last week's episode with Merge, the Seychelles-based uh, security token exchange, and now looks like Renville out of Estonia, yet another you know jurisdiction trying to, to build security tokens. I think you're getting a lot of opportunities to, to potentially be invested in the next New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ of, of the future. As we noted, they're, whether they scale to the point of... of of really successfully competing on the global industry and the global market. We also noted that I think there was 10 or 11 acquisitions by some of the U.S. exchanges just in the U.S. over the last 10 or 15 years. They make many of acquisitions of other exchanges that are listing specific assets. And so 
some of these small these small exchanges that get in first may be acquisition targets for larger exchanges or for larger capital institutions who want to enter into this space but don't want to have to build all of the infrastructure or get all of the regulations themselves. So it's nothing but good things for the industry as it, it reduces friction by paving the way and offering opportunities for larger institutions to really you know, buy in and be able to just immediately be a player in the space. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, we had a, a user-submitted article for INDX, the security token offering, which is, is now live through the Swarm platform. And INDX, or Index, as I believe they call it, they, their plan is to bring master node participation to the masses. So as we identified with Swarm, master nodes are, are the computers and the people who or organizations that buy in to validate all of the transactions on a blockchain. And we see this with, with a lot of decentralized organizations, either through blockchain or even Libra has a master node concept that they had 28 users buy into at a $10 million a piece. So master nodes are something that is not uncommon in the crypto and blockchain industries. And INDX is, is looking at it and saying, hey, we'll buy stake in as many master nodes as we can. And so you don't need to learn how to program. You don't need to, to build out the proper terminal to execute on master node transactions, but instead you can invest now and get participation and get some exposure into master nodes. And as you said with, with, with uh, the earlier exchange, get, play a part in, in the infrastructure this way without having to actually buy the computing power yourself. Tell me, Kyle, is INDX with their masternode uh, play uh, going to be participating in swarms since we just mentioned them? They actually are not. Uh -huh. In their current initial listing, they are not going to be buying a swarm masternode. Um, not sure what the logic is there. Potentially, they didn't want to seem too dependent on swarm. Potentially, they want to wait. Maybe it's too expensive. Maybe I'm not exactly sure. I could only guess a million different reasons. But from what I saw in their their website, they will not be, at least initially, investing in Swarm. They did note that 50% of the revenues generated from the masternodes will actually go to reinvesting into the fund. So they will, the goal I think here is to continue to buy as many nodes, potentially to have a full portfolio of masternodes across many industries and many sectors. But at least for now, I think they're going live with five or six. You can find those available online. And if that changes moving forward, We'll, we'll definitely be the first to let all of our listeners know 50% um, is going to increasing the fund and the other 50% will be redistributed back to the token holders. So that's, that's about it for me, though, with security token news. That being said, we, we did note that we wanted to mention there is a conference going on right now, Herwig. What, what, you want to talk more about that? Yeah, absolutely. It's a little last minute here, but the Barcelona Trading Conference is going to be happening on July 10th and 11th. Uh, and you know there are some very notable speakers that are going to be there: Securitize, Etoro, Swarm, Into the Block. Uh, definitely an interesting conference covering all aspects, uh, but of course also uh, security tokens. So we do try to highlight, and we will be moving forward on the show whenever there are major uh, conferences and events happening around security tokens or on them. Uh, we'll certainly be sure to try and include them in the podcast every week. And with any interesting announcements or news that breaks at a conference like this, you can certainly trust that that, that will be covered immediately as soon as that news breaks for the listeners as well. So feel free to just check here next week and you'll hear anything exciting that was announced at the conference. 
So what do you say, Kyle? Uh, now that we're, we're all out of the latest news and, and offerings, uh, I think it's time for us to dive into our juicy conversation around IEOs for STOs. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting idea. We've, we've flirted with it a little bit earliest in the, earlier in the episode, but, but what were you thinking, Howard? What gets you the most excited about IEOs? Yeah, so IEOs, you know, as as we mentioned in the the start, it is the latest acronym. Uh, you know, it's it's certainly uh, interesting because we often like to differentiate and and try to point out that the crypto and the ICO world is, is certainly nothing to do with the security token world. Um, and in this case, uh, what actually happened with IEOs was they they first became popular. Uh, as the new alternative to the ICO. There's a lot of different reasons for this, but you know, it, it gives it a lot of uh, you know, logic put behind it being that if an exchange with its own name and reputation is, is willing to vet and list them directly onto their exchange, that there's certainly a lot more liability, uh, certainly a lot more reputational risk. Uh, and so one would expect that these projects are a lot more vetted, a lot more chance of success, uh, and very interesting. And so that, that world started to move and adopt, and Binance was a big leader of this new trend to help uh, you know, these crypto exchanges list IEOs instead of ICOs. Um, and as you pointed out, Kyle, you know, it's actually how the traditional markets work. Uh, you know, before you do, you invest in an offering, you want to know, you know, is this investing in the New York Stock Exchange or is liquidity going to be on the NASDAQ or OTC? Um, and even many don't know that the NASDAQ itself suffered a lot of reputation after the dot-com bubble. A lot of the technology companies that were wiped out were listed with the NASDAQ, uh, and a lot of investor confidence suffered as a result for, for quite a while. It was through a series of acquisitions and rebuilding that they were able to you know, bring themselves back to, to one of the leaders today. But uh, this is certainly not new. Uh, and in that regard... The concept of an initial exchange offering uh, certainly applies uh, to security tokens as well. As you pointed out, Dreamer is, in fact, going to be one of the first, uh, if not the first in the U.S. to do so. Non-U.S. Uh, investors for, only. Ah, so for non-U.S. investors, but it's a, for, for a, supposedly a U.S.-based company. So that, that's an interesting move. Um, but that, that leads, I think, to a lot of the questions that we're going to talk about here now, which is... You know, how, how does it work? Is there only one way that it could work? Uh, I think personally, the, the more likely situation is the, you know, what type of listing is this and what type of asset is being listed in that regard? I mean, are you actually raising money for a new project or a new asset? Uh, or are you taking an existing uh, security and listing that instead? Um, and the process of that, I think, is dramatically impacted because uh, at one point, an exchange is meant to be a secondary market, right? It's meant to be the, the liquidity for these assets after they have been able to find initial uh, buyers on the primary sale. But it certainly seems like for a lot of these offerings, whether they're crypto or potentially someday security tokens, that they are going to be almost raising their, their money primarily on the exchange, which is certainly not like the traditional markets where one would likely go to a major investment bank and they will help you perform a roadshow and you will get those, those primary investors for your offering through that and then list on the exchange the next day or you know, whenever they, they end the roadshow. 
uh, and, and hope for a pop <laughs> uh, with you know, the public retail markets now being able to access this. Um, so I'm not sure where your thoughts are, Kyle, but I, I, I'm certainly curious myself to see uh, how, how a lot of these security token exchanges are going to be actually implementing a, a concept of an IEO and if there potentially is any risk or regulation that we don't know about preventing something like that from happening. I think you're totally right. You covered a lot of topics there. And so a couple of things that, that stuck out to me particularly that I like to talk about are, are, are were uh, mentioned by you earlier. And, and so the first piece is, is the reputation. And so as you correctly identified, yeah, the NASDAQ suffered a little bit when, and a lot of bit potentially, when the tech bubble crashed and a lot of these offerings were, were deemed to be essentially worthless. But they've also ridden the reputation of, of success now that they've listed a lot of very successful tech companies and a lot of the, the current largest tech companies are listed on the NASDAQ as opposed to the New York Stock Exchange. And so it is something that that is a reputation definer for these exchanges. What kind of assets can you provide for me? And that's all that I really care about. And so the other difference is that oftentimes, at least in current security token markets, you're trading directly with these security token exchanges. So when I want to buy a security token here in the US, I'm buying it from Open Finance. I'm going on Open Finance and buying it from their site directly as opposed to working with brokers or, or, or custody managers who make that intermediary purchase like a TD Ameritrade or something like that. And so having that extra set of middlemen, it'll be interesting to see how these markets parallel or are very different because as you're, you're correctly identifying, it's even more reputation dependent when these assets could be exclusively on specific listings. But as we're seeing with security tokens, there is an ability to move your assets from one exchange to another. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Um, yeah, absolutely. So the, you know, the I guess what you're getting at to is being able to do cross-exchange uh, sales, possibly even cross-border as a result. We know that there are security token exchanges popping up all around the world. Uh, and so one has to wonder, you know, you're not going to be able to go and buy Facebook on both the NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange. Um, you know, this is also by principle to, to be able to say that, you know, all the investors have to go to NASDAQ. So will exchanges actually be uh, creating barriers of their own for their IEOs? Uh, will, will they prevent me being able to take my tokens and go to T0 potentially, even though they might be supported by the same underlying technology, there there may no may I may not have the right to go ahead and list it on T0, let alone somewhere else. Um, and those are you know really against the whole concept of security tokens being able to implement a better, uh, meaningful way of transfer of value. Uh, without necessarily the need for one exclusive exchange to, to manage that liquidity. Uh, so in that regard, uh, I would have to speculate that you know exchanges are going to have to be open, similar to what we discussed last week with T0 and, and OFN and Securitize kind of being the, the underlying technology. Uh, but you know, I also love to say that you know traditional markets are are really just being evolved here by the technology. So 
to assume that everything will just be flipped upside down is, is also uh, you know, ca- you know, cautionary tale in itself. Um, so I think be, you know, once again, because of the crypto world, you're seeing new innovation on the security token side. And this is certainly brand new innovation uh, as yet to, to actually be proven, especially here in the U.S. market. Yeah, and I think that that the other piece of secondary trading that we're still working on with the security token industry and infrastructure is those market makers and are a lot of these brokers and custody solutions that, as we discussed, Coinbase is trying to provide. And and these players are also crucial to preventing extreme volatility by providing liquidity, which needs to be available in order to be there, right? Just, just being able to trade it on an exchange does not mean it's liquid. And so there are large financial institutions handling that for secondary markets in traditional public markets. And price discovery will be very important for security tokens and being able to understand what this thing is actually valued at as opposed to emotional discussion and emotional reaction. So it will be very, very important that as we f- we maybe shift towards IEOs and providing secondary trading for a lot of these tokens is that we're, we're being smart about how we scale this thing. Just listing a hundred different assets on an exchange that may not be quite prepared immediately to list them all or something like that could cause some serious shockwaves as we really try to grow. I think you're highlighting some key points here, Kyle, uh, which is, you know, unlike with, say, a Binance, who is more focused on the actual smart contract, the underlying tech, making sure that the project itself is very legitimate, uh, to do an IEO for a security token requires a much bigger infrastructure for an exchange to be be pulled off. In fact, this is well the very reason why you don't see NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange managing the, the offerings themselves. It's the very role investment banks play in the space today. Um, so for sure, I think we're, we're going to see a lot of interesting executions and attempts and experimentation with the concept of an IEO. But to really do it properly, you know, the type of infrastructure to make sure you have partners, you have, you know, almost, you know, the right custody providers, the right structures, the right evaluation techniques and tools and, you know, for exchanges that are very specifically agnostic, this seems like an even greater challenge, right? If you were focused focused maybe specifically primarily on real estate, uh, you might be able to better put in the controls to identify what offerings would be good direct listings right on um, the exchange. And we have to be fair, too, regarding the public markets, which is, uh, direct listings are, are becoming a thing now again. Uh, you saw Spotify do it successfully. You just saw Slack do it again successfully. So maybe we're, we're not too crazy to think that perhaps this is a, a route that security tokens will eventually adopt. And the idea that all of the marketplace and liquidity is around the exchange directly as opposed to these kind of distributed primary uh, fundraising channels like the crowdfunding portals and the the, the communities that are scattered across, uh, you kind of have a more concentrated pool of investors that you can immediately target with the offering, which might lead to better price discovery, demand, uh, you know, analysis, etc. So, uh, you know, I think this is very topical for us to be speaking about, despite the fact that there aren't necessarily huge examples of this yet. Totally. 
And then the one thing for investors to be slightly wary of is, as we've seen with the rise of IEOs in the crypto scene, they seem to, just like what we've seen in IPOs over the last five or 10 years, is a tremendous initial spike as everyone is, is very excited about the offering and it has all of the hype. The price hits a certain multiple and then it seems like many of the initial speculators dump and it can kind of cause a, a, a large or a small term bubble for these specific offerings. So definitely make sure that you're being conscious of, of what you're buying and, and you're confident in the long term propositions as opposed to just buying off of speculation or things like that because it isn't healthy for the market and, and it's important to to, to build moving forward. Let's, let's say, Kyle, that IEOs are able to come onto the platform and, and use this as a, an offering. Let's take Slack as an example. Do you think Slack could potentially, if the infrastructure was there on the private markets, have considered doing a direct listing on, say, a T0 or an OFN or maybe even a Gemini, then, say, having to, to go down the route of going public and doing a public offering on the, the NASDAQ? Totally. It... it, it Traditional public offerings are very long, very cost expensive. They are certainly opportunistic cost-wise. It's incredibly expensive in, in all aspects. And security tokens are, are an even more programmable, more effective, efficient investment offering. The only potential hesitation is that many of the private securities exemptions do have certain caps. So they have to figure out how much they needed to raise and whether it would work with a private securities exemption. But I think it makes total sense and could potentially even be healthy for some companies where they could be they could redefine their own reputations or, or really provide some kind of industry leadership, brand leadership by taking on new technologies and appealing to whole new investors through that route. Um, and uh, so that could be a very exciting offering in, in a very short amount of time. Fascinating. I have no doubt we will continue to cover and, and talk about this uh, subject as we continue the show. However, you know, we, we seem to be getting longer and longer with each episode, so <laughs> I think it's time to, to call it. Uh, but as always, it's been a pleasure. I'm looking forward to, to catching up again next week and sharing with you all the latest. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you next week.